Is that what I'm saying? Rough trade radio. 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 And welcome back to the Rough Trade podcast. This week, I chat to Australian singer-songwriter Olivia Bartley, aka Olympia, on working with producer Burke Reed and laying it bare on her infectious second album. Sam from Rough Trade Nottingham is back on the podcast this week, chatting new releases and some recent favourites. That's coming up super shortly. We also have another amazing Rough Trade Essential album to focus on towards the end of the show. And do listen out for George, who, among other things, is telling us all about his pre-order of the week. But first, something new, something shiny, Bodega come crashing back into our lives courtesy of a spanking new mini album this autumn, October the 11th my birthday, FYI. With promise of breezy, hook-filled songs, this record is also going to have an extended, improvised version of the band's staple track, Truth Is Not Punishment, which was on their debut album that came out last year. Now, I happened to see this live in action when I caught them at London's Moth Club a couple of weeks ago. And you are in for such a treat. It's completely brilliant. Um, They are so captivating live. They have this incredible energy, completely bolstered by the amazing drummer who has this incredible tribal presence. If you ever go and see Bodega Live, which I do recommend, of course, um, do check out the drummer. I mean, it'll be difficult not to, but she is brilliant. Um, But yeah, you can pre-order the album now on Rough Trade exclusive green vinyl. It's available in both the UK and the US. So yeah, uh, let's hear the new single. Sam's here right after this, but this is Bodega and Shiny New Model will be replaced by a shiny new model.
So I'm here with Sam, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Lovely Sam, lovely to have him back on the show. Hi, Sam. Hey, Emily, how are you? I'm not too bad. I am enjoying the summer and its vibrancy with the artists and the music that has come out. And it feels like it's not going too fast, but it's also not too slow. So yeah, all is good. That was quite a long-winded answer. I, I was going to say you could have mentioned the ever-changing weather system. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> enjoying, enjoying it's the pretty much like that. it's pretty much one climate in this studio. Mm. I think I mention every week that I have a guest in that we are hot and sweaty and sweltering, and because it's just there's no air in here. It's very small, um, and yeah, it's, it gets quite stuffy. So I always keep people at a minimum of about twenty minutes or so. It's so. not too bad today. But it's not so bad today. It's not. But how's it going up at Rough Trade Nottingham? Yeah, it's good. You know, we've had some. Uh, we've had a busy summer. Really, we've had uh, some really good in stores. We've got uh, had feeder that was a sold out one. Uh, I'm a big fan from my youth. Oh my goodness! So I want to talk about this with you because I was sat great. in the. So our office is on the mezzanine, which is above the shop in Rough Trade East. For anyone who doesn't know, and they obviously were sound checking before the set, and the sound check because it's a mezzanine. Obviously, everything they play is at full blast in in our ears, no matter even if you have headphones on, don't matter. But I was sat there and they were obviously sound checking like Buck Rogers and all those records between all I think the classics. It was, yeah, I think it was between, was it 2002 ish to 2005 or 2000 to 2005? Those three albums, which yeah. were like when I was a teenager. It's like pushing the senses and That's all those it. sort of things. Comfort in sound. Comfort in sound. Comfort oh, in sound. Yeah. And what was the just, one with just Buck a Rogers day, on? Just a Day was my favourite one, song wise. Yeah. What was that album though? My personal favourite was just before those albums, though. It's called Echo Park. Yes, that's what I'm thinking and of. And I love Echo Park. Did that come out in 2000 or, like, 99? I feel like they were, like, late 90s as well. Yeah. But I grew up, like, playing Gran Turismo and stuff like that as well as a kid on PlayStation, and they were, like, on every soundtrack with Just Today <laughs> and, like, Buck Rogers. So, like, they they actually played Rough Trade Nottingham. This was the second time. Right. Because the first time they played it when they bought out that big box set of, like, Grace Hits mm-hmm. and an album bottled mm-hmm. on the end. Mm-hmm. And they did another sold-out one with us. Uh, got that signed and stuff, you know, like one of the best days of my life. Oh, Very nostalgic. Let's chat some stuff that's out this week because it's, although summer is always that period where it's the release mm. schedule is a little bit quieter. We've got a pretty strong week this week. We've got, of course, Shura has her brand new record out um, on, we've got a Rough Trade exclusive version of this. I think it's, what's it called again? It's like blue and white. Wisp. We always have like funny haze. names. I think it's Blue and White Haze. Blue and White Haze, that's it. Blue and White Haze vinyl limited to about 300 copies, mm. I think. So snap that up if you are keen for this. Uh, thoughts on Shura, Sam? Well, Shura was like a weird one for me because like, I saw it coming out and I'm always going to like give it a little listen to see what's happening. And then I realised that like, I realised the first album that she did, which was the one called uh, Nothing's Real, which was like three years ago. Yeah. She like that album then just like went on hiatus. Yeah. And then I went back to look at what that album was. You know, the cover like blows me away straight away. I'm like, yes, <laughs> I played this album loads in the bar and no one else liked it. <laughs> but like it, it was that, it was like nice pop. And yes. like, so yes. like, you know, it's not, it's not like, you know, your mainstream pop, but like it was poppy, it was electronic and it just made you feel good. Yeah. Like I think, Touch was the big one on that that like went huge. It was, but and I mentioned this on a show on the yeah. show when the pre-order went up that that Too Shy song, yes, I played that really well. relentlessly when it came out. So yeah, um, you know, like I'm looking forward yeah. to this because I remember just coming across that album, putting it on, and you know being really into it. So now I'm hoping that I can kind of get the same vibe with this one. Yeah, but like it's, those few tracks she's released already, are, yeah, they're all right, good, you know, definitely. Um, and she's playing all of the shops. Yes. Or has played some of them by the time you hear this. But 
yeah, really excited to have this record and of mm. course on the exclusive and she's got a very appropriate song actually for Rough Trade which we're going to play called Brooklyn London which let's say will is a little swan song to our Rough Trade NYC store and obviously our our London HQ so I think this is like her comeback song as well this was, was like it? the first one she okay. released when she was like I'm back and here's a new album this is Brooklyn London
So that was Shura and Brooklyn, London. What else have we got out this week? I'm just going to reel off a few because there's quite a few that I want to mention. So we've got Blank Mass, um, who are obviously also playing some installs with us. And hopefully, I think there's, I don't know if there'll still be any available, but we do have some limited signed copies of that. So snap them up if you are keen. Friendly Fire's about. We've got that Sleater Kinney records out. And I think Rough Trade NYC have some exclusive badges coming in. Um, and hopefully they'll ship some kindly over to us UK folks so that you guys can snap some up too. Um, there is Florence the Machine. She is releasing Lungs on coloured vinyl. Okay, is that what that is? A reissue? Yeah, yeah. So that'll probably be quite popular. Mm. And presumably it hasn't been on a colour before. So I'm sure that'll be... I think it's not been... Has it been readily available for not a little while? So. Oh, maybe. It's a good, good I haven't. I haven't done my research it. on that one, I've got to admit. But uh, Coloured Lungs ticks the box. Um, obviously Ride, that record is out. Rails, who we've had a bunch of installs with, that's out too. Lily May, which is a country, a country record out on Third Man. It's definitely going to be one for Nigel House, that is. Of course. <laughs> Loves that stuff, doesn't he? Um, but uh, probably one of the big ones, certainly for you and I, is that King Gizzard record. Of course. Yeah, what is it? Uh, Infest the Rat's Nest. Yes, what a great title. I know, like, this is like King Gizzard so album number 15. Blimey. And like, this is a little bit of a wait from the last one, really. What is it? The last one was like April, which was that Fishing for Fishies. I know, they've left it a bit, know, a bit like, long, What, what are they doing? Like, come on, we want these every like two months or so. <laughs> but like, again, it's like complete, if you've listened to the singles, it's like a complete change of tone again. I know. We like, were playing that Fishing fishing for Fishies Yeah, and song. you just kind of like bop along, don't you? And you oh, kind of do a little dance. Compared to, yeah, some of the delights <laughs> on this new one. Well, it's like doom doom metal stoner rock like heavy metal elements yeah like just mad guitar solos and like drums and just it's insane like i think it's great because I, I, I love everything kingers would do even when they like switch up the genre yeah and i think this one's going to be amazing it might at this rate it might actually be my favorite king Gizzard record really yeah it's, it's cool. funny though isn't it we always make a big shout like big thief have just announced their second yes. record for this year and I think that is a huge feat in itself, doing two albums in one year, let alone... Five. <laughs> madness. Madness it is. And to have such variety, it's not like they're just pumping out... No, and I, th I think... One album. I think the five. big credit to King Gizzard as well is, like we say, they switch up the genre, but then they don't, they don't do it half-assed either, you know? No. Like, it's good. Mm. Like, for what genre they're doing it for, you know, it's not, like, it's not a bad record. Yeah. So, like, yeah, those guys... What do they do in their spare time? I don't think like, they, do have they have spare any? time. I think they're just constantly jamming and jamming in the studio, recording and creating. Anyway, should we get on and play some music? Yeah, from of it? course. Let's play it. I think if we're going to play anyone, we should, we're going to have to like throw people in at the deep end with this one, and we're okay. going to have to go for Organ Farmer. There we go.
that was King Gizzard. Another one I want to mention this week um, is The Murder Capital, which is my pick for this week, as you could probably already have pre-guessed, knowing my taste. But yes, um, Murder Capital are also from Dublin, as are my beloved Fontaine's DC. <laughs> um, and this is their debut album, When I Have Fears. Obviously follows. They've had a couple of singles out. Mm. Um, one was the one called Green and Blue, which is... We had the 12 inches, didn't we? Yes, the 12 mm. inches of it. Um, I love that Green and Blue song. I think it's quite... I think it needs a couple of listens before you get into it. It's quite a long song and it's quite... Um, it's very, very intense. In fact, I'd say this record, When I Have Fears... Over, is overbearingly consistently intense um and they've kind of got quite a lot of um resemblances to maybe some joy division okay um certainly in their style so definitely excites me we've actually got them playing rough trade east um on thursday for a lunchtime gig so i'm really really excited about that but they've kind of been one of those ones that have been picked up quite a bit on the blogs and there's mm. been a bit of buzz about so Really looking forward to this. And we've got a, I think it's a limited, or certainly it's a colour version anyway, on marbled rust vinyl, which is very delicious indeed that I'll be snapping up. But yeah, can we just chat maybe a bit about what you've been listening to? And any, of course. Any recommendations? Um, I guess the big one for me at the moment is a release that came out in March that I ultimately slept on and brushed over originally. But then uh, Sophie, who I work with in Nottingham, uh, she was playing this downstairs and I came down and I'm like, what is this? And it was this, the Orville Peck record, Pony. Okay. So like, country. A uh, little bit of like, kind of um, shoegazy elements at times with the guitar. Yeah. But like, pure country, great vocal. And his aesthetic as well is fantastic. Oh yeah. If you don't know what Orville Peck looks like, just Google him and you'll, it will probably yeah. come up instantly. He wears, constantly wears a Stetson uh, Lone Ranger mask, but the Lone Ranger mask has a what they call fringe, a fringe on it. Yeah. And sometimes he has really long fringes, sometimes really short fringes. Oh, does he change it up? Yeah, he changes it up. I think I've only seen him with a really long one. And so I, he did a KEXP session and I watched that and he, he talked about, um, he talked about learning mask making or studying mask making in his mid to late twenties. <laughs> and he makes all of those masks himself. Really? Yeah. He's like, he's a mad, he's a madness. He's a mad guy. Uh, <laughs> but he's one of these guys also like Orville Peck is a pseudonym that's not his real name but it's also right, one of those of things course. like no one knows who he actually really is yeah have you ever seen him without the mask no has like anyone the, ever no seen him that's the, the thing there's no one no one's seen a picture without the mask and some of his suits like pure country suits yeah. they look amazing yeah he's I just actually, such an icon I actually saw him in the flesh a couple of weeks back I went to I'm Vision. very jealous I went to Visions Festival in Hackney and I didn't see his set sadly but I saw him um, like outside the stage area uh, after he'd just come off and um, I didn't, didn't talk to him or anything because I was too scared. Too but, scared um, <laughs> of Orville Peck. Orville Peck looks look, like a lovely looked, man on social he, media. I'm sure he, he is. He looked fabulous. Oh, yeah. But just too fabulous for me to approach him. He's so. like, suppose he's like, you know, so I'm up on that RuPaul's Drag Race and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Suppose he's like really good friends of like Trixie Mattel and all these like oh, cool RuPaul Drag really? Queens as well. Because I have, I have to say, I've neglected Orville Peck a little bit. Oh, my so God. So I'm yet to really discover this record, even like, though it's obviously been out. I'm just while. I'm just smiling so much because the thought of Orville Peck just fills me with joy. <laughs> I had him as my back screen for a while and everyone's like, why have you got that as your back screen? He's like, well, go listen to Pony, then you'll find out. Uh, so next time you come in, are you going to be donning an Orville Peck facial I, feature? Or I really want some Orville Peck merch. Okay. It'll yes. be one or the other. You'll, you'll see me in something Orville Peck related. Okay. I don't think I'm going to, I can't pull off walking around in a Stetson and a Lone Ranger mask. 
Well, so if anyone doesn't know what Sam looks like, Sam does have a very long beard. So I feel like, you know, in absence of that, that would be a much quicker fix to have something there. Of course, I wouldn't of have a fringe it. on the mask. It'd no. just be a beard. Yeah. But yeah, okay, come on. Uh, let's play it for the people. Uh, this is Orville Peck, Turn to Hate. Yeehaw. It's got an awful bite. It's gonna rise again. Keeping track of everything we lose Another hole to mend Tell me you can't stay
That was the wonderful Orville Peck. Certainly a new one for my listening pleasure and hopefully many of yours. Thank you so, so much to Sam for joining us this week. I'm sure I'll be back before the end of the year. Of course, I'm always back at some point, aren't yeah. I? I can't, can't keep away from the podcast forever. <laughs> um, any parting words? Anything else that people should check out? Maybe just in like one word? Um, if I was going to recommend one more thing for people to check out, there's a lady called Clario out there. Uh, she released her album Immunity Digitally recently. Okay. But I think we have a coloured beige final out when it comes out um, in, I think it's October. Okay. But if you're going to check nice. her out, go with Bags. Bags is a great song. So I'll leave you with that one.
Cheers, Sam. And as recommended, you just heard Clario and the song Bags. The new album is out physically this October. Five to one next, and I spoke to the completely lovely Olympia. Five to one, baby. One in five. No one here gets out alive now. You get yours, baby. I'll get mine. Gonna make it, baby, if we try. So, Olympia, welcome to the Rough Trade podcast. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, have we caught you at the beginning of your European tour? Yes. Just at the beginning. So the fresh. We played Latitude yesterday. Okay. And um, but other than that, um, my my feet, you know, my fingers are still soft and the strings are still shiny. Yeah. How was that first performance at Latitude? Uh, it was great. It was such an incredible festival. Yeah. It kind of blew so my busy. mind. The more I walked around, the bigger it got. And and then this morning, I was looking on Instagram, thinking, "Oh, I missed all these acts <laughs> that were on that I love." So that oh. no, was good. Yeah. Well, there are lots of friends there, like. Australia, yeah. Other Australian musicians. Well, Rolling, Rolling Blackouts were there. Oh, of course. Stella yeah. Donnelly, Julia Jacklin, um, probably yeah, heaps of others that I've forgotten. Yeah. But yeah, there was a lot of oh, us there. Oh, so nice. Yeah. I know. We've been saying for like the last 18 months here that there's been so much amazing stuff that's come out of Australia recently. It just seems to be exploding with amazing music and bands and stuff. It's really, really exciting. And yeah. you are yet another wondrous edition, which is brilliant. Thank you. Um, your second album, Flamingo, came out on the 5th of July mm -hmm. of this year. Um, and it was firmly in our top 10 for our albums of the month for Ooh, July. That's great. It's been a big hit. Um, your first album, Self Talked, Self Talk, sorry, was nominated for an ARIA and was really, really well received critically. Um, I wondered, not necessarily comparing, but what's it been like with your second album this time around, the immediate response? Yeah, it's, I wish I'd written more down, you know, <laughs> from the self-talk. My partner always says, oh, you know, this was the same. Like, there was a delayed reaction with self-talk. Uh, I don't remember that. I think, yeah, sort of, uh, I remember more the live shows and how much we evolved mm. and, the, you know, the musicality grew. And I think, um, so it's been quite, yeah, it's all felt quite new again. But both self-talk and Flamingo, mm. the way we write the songs, they give and give and give. Mm. Self-talk, I don't know, maybe it was easier. Flamingo's a bit heavier. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the way people receive both records has been completely different. Yeah. And have you been excited both times around to get it out or was this? were you a little bit more nervous about releasing a second record? I was oh, so happy to get it out and it, and it really psychologically, something just changes the, the release mm. day. I felt so much lighter and I was like, right, it's yours now. Yeah. Uh, and I instantly wanted to start writing it again. Really? It was incredible. Oh, wow. Yeah. There was this real sense of levity. Self-talk, we kept going back into the studio like, oh, it's not enough, it's not enough. Mm. Uh, so I felt there was more pressure to get self-talk right. However, with Flamingo uh, in the studio, I was so conscious of that and wanted to deliver 11 songs at once because mm. uh, I wanted this, I wanted it to feel consistent. And that's part of the beauty of um, both records are so different because self-talk is a bit of a mixed lolly bag where Flamingo is very consistent. It's an atmosphere. Yeah. I wanted to, it's interesting you mentioned there about recording them all at once because I wanted to ask you about your recording process this time around. I think you worked with Bert Reed again, who you worked with, I think, on your first record too. Was it, was it quite a different working process this time around? I guess you knew each other. Did you have some ideas up front as to how you wanted to 
to get this record out to to record it and things. Absolutely. So when you work, we work so intensely on self-talk and that was when Burke and I met you know, mm. pretty much on that record. So we, we didn't have to pretend to be nice this time. <laughs> <laughs> we were a lot harder on ourselves and each other. It, there, was, there was just no edges. It was like straight there. And I think I can hear that in the record, that there's nothing passive about the record. There's no apologies. The, the, the vocals are all hard. And in fact, when I was demoing in Melbourne and I'd use friends' studios, I'd blow their mics and they're like, oh, you, you shouldn't sing like this. Mm-hmm. And it's because nobody is singing like this at the moment, especially mm. on Australian radio. It's very soft and, mm. um, um, you know, placating. So we did go about it very differently, mostly how I wrote the songs in that 12 months period. But I wanted them to feel fresh. Mm-hmm. I didn't want anything to settle. I didn't want to revise it too much. I really wanted it to feel like when I listened to Rid of Me, you know, it's like, fuck, it's so exciting still. Yeah. And it still resonates. You know, yeah. it's never become a bit of an album that you could just drink wine and play Uno over the no. top of. It's so arresting. Yeah. And um, we got there. Um, well, I mean, I'm not saying we got to rid of me, but we <laughs> did We did make something. And it's like, wow, this is so confronting. Yeah. So now I have to live in that shadow. So you want, <laughs> and you, so I assume you wanted it to be like really raw sounding? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. And that, that's part of it. You know, that challenge of how, how do you give of yourself and write personally but also invite the audience in and how can it be theirs as well as mm-hmm. yours? And I felt it, it was a challenge for me as a writer to, to be more personal and be more direct, like not hide behind, you know, uh, how to uh, write like Lorca 101. I really tried to be more direct on this mm-hmm. record. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. Like, this album was so personal and whether that was really difficult to decide to produce an album that was so personal as an artist as well as being a person because obviously it's something that's going to become so public that was maybe so private before. Um, and you're almost not an observer this time around. It's all about you and it's your feelings. Do you think coming through at this time, do you think you'd look to approach that again? and write another really personal record or is that kind of your personal record kind of done for the time being? I'm not sure. I mean, if if I had to sit down and write 12 songs today, I don't feel like there's much personal stuff left. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my bone marrow is on this record. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, a writer I love had said, and I was just listening to a podcast and they said, you can't write the stories that are out there until you write the stories that are here and mm-hmm. they're often the ones you're avoiding and they'll be the hardest to write about. And I think it's probably because I am a fervent masochist that I was like, right, that sounds like a great challenge. <laughs> you know, but I think as a writer my skills probably were at a place where I could explore most more personal topics. But, um, yeah, it's been really interesting. For me mostly uh, – in Australia, they're like, oh, this is catharsis because, you know, there's this big folk um, folk revolution, for lack of a better word, in Australia mm-hmm. where everything's autobiographical. And I'm like, no, there's still a lot of fantasy and innovation mm-hmm. in there. Um, so, you know, like it can be true and not so true at the same time, which is it's, it's a very difficult concept for Australians, I think. Okay. You know, where you sit in the front of a taxi and it's this egalitarian society, or we like to think we are. Um, so that, you know, trying to present something that has some mystery mm. is 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 quite 
um, a challenge. Yeah. Do, yeah. People, do you feel people want everything to be quite literal? Yeah. Or how, how is it made? Yeah. Um, oh, you know, that modern art thing. Like, yeah. I could have done that. Yeah, but you didn't sort of yeah. thing. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm not deterred by it. If anything, it just makes me um, more focused on the things that fuel me and excite me as an artist. Mm. Uh, recently, I I don't know where I was. Maybe I was in the UK in the the Criterion Collection. Do you have the Criterion Collection here? Oh, no. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I'm going to show myself up now. <laughs> no, it's so it's the they they buy all these um, like old you know amazing movies. Like uh, I cannot think of any, you know one right now. But what's happening is with movies, they're all being digitized so that mm. we can stream them on you know at whatever platform and hire them and rent them. But a lot aren't because it's quite expensive to digitize. Okay. So we're going to lose. We just will not be able to access movies. And it's kind of time to buy a DVD player, I think, mm. and stock up on DVDs. But anyway, it made me go back and watch what I could of like Fellini's. Um, I love a Moldovar films. And and I'm, I already feel hundreds of kilometres away from the quality of that cinema, these worlds. And I think, oh, my God, I've just been, you know, eating the low-hanging fruit on Netflix, mm. which is all about content, 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 get yeah. it out, get it out, get it out. And we binge it. And we are treating music the same way at mm. the moment. Our cycles are really small. And, you know, if, if you've spent six months out, people are like, where have you been? I've forgotten yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and, again, it's it's not a diss, but what, what it made me do is go, oh, my God, I love and I'm so fed by cinema and ideas and books so I'm just gonna go there yeah. worry about the rest later oh wow okay so you really feel like you want to take your time with everything and explore what you want to explore and not worry about any pressures of delivering something at a certain time yeah or? I'll just put a filter on my email so if any pressurey emails come from the label they just get filtered out straight yeah. to spam I think <laughs> <laughs> words like charts oh, I don't know I think it's more that you have to at the time you know where we're at artists have to care about business and um you know we you're thinking about where people's ears are at mm. even though you want to create but we kept saying is this new is this new is it too new because yeah. if it's too new it's going to be really awful for everyone I'll just like smash them in the face <laughs> so you have to balance being part of the world and understanding where people are at, but you still need to go to whatever it is that excites you and like makes makes you excited and feel confounded and confronted. Um, you still need to know what that is and why you do what you do. Mm. So, do you feel this is the truest version of this record you could have put out at this moment? Yeah, which is really great. Yeah. I was going to say, from beginning to end, like the process of this second album, what's been the thing that you're most proud of that's come out of it or what have you learned the most? I'm so proud that it's finished, <laughs> but I'm not a finisher. <laughs> I know that term probably has connotations. That's really when Burke and I work together, it's really, that's kudos to him. I feel I felt like he was pulling out foals, mm. like baby horses. <laughs> um, uh, because I think I would still be writing them because I had wanted them to feel as though you've put your jeans in the wash and the coins are going around, you know, that kinetic element, which meant I didn't know when they would stop myself and put them down. I And it is so personal, but it also 
is um, it became something so much greater than me and what I was feeling. And recently I actually put my headphones on and listened to the album and I was so moved by how how grander it was than me. Mm. It's so much bigger than me in my own experience and I felt really proud of that. Wow. Yeah. Was that the first time you listened to it in a little while? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think maybe when the album had come out. Okay. Yeah. I had to get my stats up on Spotify. Um, I wanted to ask you one more thing before we sort of wrap up, which I hope you don't mind, but I had um, the writer Amy Raphael in here a few weeks ago and she's um, written a book, A Seat at the Table, which is about the challenges and kind of triumphs of women um, in music today. I just wondered if you could briefly chat about your experience since becoming a musician in the music industry as a woman. Yeah. Wow. I mean, did you say quick? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. the word briefly in there did slip in, which is probably impossible, but just think, go for it. <laughs> I've, I've definitely, you know, I used to feel a couple of years ago when people would talk about women in music and I would, I didn't really, like I kind of cringe a little bit and I don't feel that way now mm. because I grew up and all I was ever interested was female artists and I felt that the discussion was um, not ignoring, but it, it was there's an absolute legacy out there and I'm here because of them Mm. and I didn't understand why that wasn't part of the conversation and I used to think well I'm a musician I'm not a female musician and at the moment the Australian women's cricket team are touring and they were messaging me going we'll come to the show and I was so excited Mm -hmm. Uh, actually and stuff like that fucking terrifies me not a lot of people make me nervous but they do (laughs) and I, I was telling someone oh the Australian cricket team I'm going to come to the show. And they said, what do you mean? They're in blah, blah. Oh, because it's the Australian women's cricket team. You know that you have yeah. to validate. Yeah, yeah. And it's pretty tiring. I recently uh, mentored at a girls rock camp. I don't know if you have that here. It started in the States and there are some in Australia. So over school holidays, kids at about six, uh, can that be right? Eight to 13. <laughs> Uh, and it's, 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 so the young girls or people that are non-binary, uh, or they may just not sure where they are at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come and they're so young and they're all playing guitar. And I gave a, a, a workshop and I said, okay, you play guitar. That's so great. Can, who, what female guitarist do you like? No one could name one. The, wow. the only female musician they could name was Susie Quattro. And I thought. That's probably, I mean, I'm making a big assumption that's probably speaking to their parents' taste. Mm. Uh, I could be wrong. But then um, what I did was I just spent hours creating this um, presentation and I showed them Björk film clips. Like, have not seen Björk film clips. Can you believe that? Yeah. And I said, you know, I wasn't allowed to listen to Björk as a kid because she didn't speak English as a first language. And I had a very weird, strict family that just thought that that was, you know, it's obviously racist. (laughs) And they were like, right, you weren't allowed to listen to this. And then I played them and and the video clips, which are just, they're incredible. They're so visceral and imaginative and there's so much love in them. Um, Brittany Howard of Alabama Shakes, Mm -hmm. um, Imogen Heap, you know, uh, and I'd say, look at Brittany Howard. Who is she playing for? They're like herself (laughs) you know look at all the space she takes up on stage she takes up space in the music and it's so exciting who else uh slater kinney you know all types of music yeah and 
I just thought, it, I felt like I was in a dark field with these kids and I said to them, you know, when you're ready, just in that tree line are hundreds of women artists just waiting for you. Whenever you're ready, they're there and you can feed off their work. So um, that was incredible, but it did teach me a lot about yeah. the visibility of women in music or people from minority groups as well and has definitely made me think a lot. Yeah, yeah. It did me too, which is why I wanted to ask you because I think you either make assumptions over what you read and hear, but sometimes when you the more people you talk to and make it more of a, not that it's a taboo conversation, but I think, as you say, maybe not just for women, but people of all races, forms, etc. however they identify, just broadening that and making it not so narrow so that when you say, think of a guitarist, mm -hmm. there's an automatic reaction to a certain gender type or stereotype. So yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you very much for answering. <laughs> You're welcome. I hope there was some answer in there. <laughs> there definitely was. Um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you to pick a track from your album that you could play us out with today that maybe has some particular special relevance touching on things that you've spoken about today or it's just your favourite. Mm. Well, I'm going to pick the title track for okay. Mongo. And I think it, it, it probably is my favourite because we haven't, played it live yet so it still feels very oh, wow. perfect and in its box and it felt the most emotional song for me however it does for me it recalls a memory from my childhood and where I grew up was pretty rough and we we were coming out of the supermarket in the car park and there were these two adult siblings with a shopping trolley each and they were having an argument and it got louder and louder and they got further and further apart and then they started to reach into their trolleys and throw food at each other. You know, like two litres bottles of milk, raw oh sausages. And it's ridiculous, right? It's yeah. funny. And on Flamingo, it does feel like you're hearing one side of an argument. I mean, it's not funny, but <laughs> <laughs> you can temper it with that story. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. We're going to play out with Flamingo. Your album is out now. It was one of our albums of the month of the July. Hopefully people will catch you on tour in the next few months. And thank you very much and we'll see you very soon. Thank you so much for having me.
The person you have dialed can't take your call now. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, simply hang up or press the pound key for further options. Congratulations, you've been chosen as one of the winners of an all-expense-paid cruise to the Bahamas. Just enter your bank routing number after the beep, and we'll... Uh, okay, I, I can't do it. I, I was going to try to fleece you guys, you know, clean out your bank account, since you won't pick up my calls, but um, I just can't do it. Do you, do you guys have that telemarketer problem over in the UK? It's pretty bad over here. We get, like... A couple a week offering us free cruises free cruises dropping out of the sky over here they don't ever pan out though sadly i've yet to get on the, the open sea but i i hope to someday until then i'm here to call and leave you the the highs and lows the ups and downs what's shaking over at rough trade nyc and let me tell you lots lots of shaking um Barry were just here this last week. They were kind enough to sign a bunch of their limited red uh, vinyl versions of their new album. If you're interested in picking up a very cool limited autographed version of their new album, you're going to go to roughtrade.com. You're going to go to the U.S. part of roughtrade.com, and you're going to want to order that. If it's not up on the website when you're hearing this, it will be shortly. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. How about we do a little staff pick of the week? This is a great one. This is from Ed. Ed is a UK expat who we're proud to have here. Um, great taste in music and shirts. Um, he picked the Mekons debut album. Here's what he had to say about it. Bafflingly, this jewel and post-punk's crown hasn't been available on vinyl since its release in 1979, which is nothing short of criminal. Mercy comprises 12 angular pop-infused punk songs of provincial English romance and the pursuit of happiness at the dispiriting dawn of the Thatcher era. Bitingly funny, achingly sad, and absolutely bloody essential. Absolutely bloody essential. Okay, I'm not going to do that. Um, so that's what Ed had to say about the Mekons album, but he is just one of a few different staff members that are very, very excited this this classic is back on vinyl check that one out in stores online we got it i think uh lastly i'll close it out by telling you guys about my pre-order of the week this one i'm very excited about personally but you all should be this is um the album networker by omni omni is atlanta georgia's um coolest post-punk power trio they uh this is the third record their first one, Deluxe, came out in 2016. Absolute banger, but um, follow-up was great, and I'm excited to hear this one. We have it up for pre-order. doesn't come out until November 1st, but you want to get your pre-order on so you can secure yourself one of those beautiful Loser Edition blue vinyls because, you know, they don't last too long these days. Um, so, guys, check that out. In fact, why don't I just throw you to the single from the album which is a track called sincerely yours which works out just great because i'd like to if i were to sign off and if i was writing you a you know a five page passionate letter about how i feel about you at the very end i'd probably sign it thus sincerely yours george catch you next week p.s um I miss you. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>
Love a bit of Omni. Thanks, George. Real shame about that cruise. You dashed Nigel's dreams, that's all I'm going to say. Um, big thanks also goes out to Olympia. Her album Flamingo is out now via Opposite Number Records and is a complete pop treasure. Please, please go and listen to it. Time to close out now, though, and this week's essential focus is Nina Simone's Pastel Blues. Released back in 1965, it's one of her more subdued albums, but that does not take anything away from its brilliance. With a strong piano presence as opposed to band arrangements, it's full of blues ballads, very sway-worthy and a complete delight to the ears. But the cherry atop this record is, as if you'd even have to guess, uh, the 10-minute tour de force of Cinnamon, which is basically an essential all in itself. It's a bit too long for us to play out with today, so instead I'm going to go with this little beauty, which is trouble in mind. So this is Nina Simone. Thank you very, very much for listening, and I will catch you next week. Bye.
Trade Radio. Reviews and subscriptions help to support what we do. So if you like what you hear, then please rate us on iTunes.